0: salutations ladies and gentlemen this is the inciting moment podcast and as always we coming back to you to honor a little bit of imagination through in-depth discussion my name's ian my name's Sam.
1: i'm
0: james uh ahead of time i'm gonna say this right now i apologize for the pounding sounds that you hear in the background uh my deck is being worked on And, uh, couldn't exactly push it off. Um, and, ahead of time, I figured I'd just say right now, uh, one other member of the podcast sadly is not going to join us today, that being, uh, our buddy Scott. Uh, he had all four of his wisdom teeth pulled after finding out that he had quite the nasty infection.
1: Oh, all four, jeez.
0: Yes, all four. All four in the same day. And uh, he, he's hes eating and drinking nothing but uh, liquids and very mushy substances.
1: That's bad news bears right there. Hey, at least yes. you didn't
0: stop it, too. I can't call him a quitter. Mm-hmm. That's that you very
1: cannot, true. That you cannot. Very true indeed. What do
0: you, do you know if he was awake for him, or did they just... Uh, uh, no, first. no, he was not awake. He was not awake.
1: Okay, very Gotta good. Imagine. Which is
0: good because uh, my sister actually had a really bad. Um, I think she had an infection too with her wisdom teeth. She had to go to a particular dentist uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic uh, mm. because the surgeons just literally wouldn't let anyone in. Uh, she had to get hers taken out while being awake, and she remembers it being incredibly uncomfortable.
1: You know, some people choose to not go under. I don't, I don't know how you could manage that. Oh, I mean, they're not humans. I, I don't
0: know either, frankly. Yeah, so it's a bit of a pickle with, uh, Scott, but frankly, I think it was a good call to go under, because otherwise, a lot of discomfort. <laughs>
1: Yeah, those are bones being ripped.
0: just knowing, just knowing that, uh, you know, they're doing all that uh, on your teeth uh, in real time, it's just, it's all kind of anxious, too. Like, that's the other thing. I don't know if I'd want to do that. I know I have to eventually get mine taken care of. And uh, Scott even said, yeah, do it before it's too late. I'm lucky I only Mm -hmm. got three pulled.
1: I still have all my Ooh. teeth. That's probably going to be a problem later. Well, yeah, I mean, your father's a dentist, take... so at least he's got you covered. That's true. Mm, perks. Gotta love them. Anyway, thank you for coming to our dental podcast.
0: <laughs> Indeed. The insightful teeth?
2: Quite. The shining smile. <laughs> the Oh, the insightful scrubbing is what we'd call it.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Very nice. This is
0: a uh, dental podcast now, just as a heads up.
1: Okay, cool. Just so, as a heads up. <clears throat> on to our next topic of discussion root canals.
0: No. Yes, Boys? Root let's canals. Not.
1: Never fun. Never, never, never fun. Ever. I see. So Ian is anti root canal. That's interesting. Yes. Sam, where do you fall? Uh, I,
2: I can't help but try to make a, a, a joke about the Suez Canal being blocked, but I, I can't think of one at the moment. Give me time. Oh, <laughs> oh
1: we'll, we'll come back to you
2: on that one. Okay, we'll get to the root right. of it. Right.
0: Uh... <laughs> oh, puns for days with you, Sam. Yeah, we're going to really just days. drill it into them. Okay, now it's just time to stop. I'm actively becoming physically ill. <laughs>
1: What is it? Too much for you to chew
2: through, Ian? I I I, I don't even need to say anything. Just keep going, James. Do your thing. <laughs> your father's a dentist, as I'm Anywho,
0: anywho, why don't we uh, why don't we talk about a little something? That little something being uh, about Rian Johnson. Oh yeah, that's a topic uh, to sink your teeth into.
2: Oh, okay, James.
0: <laughs> it's time to stop. I'm going to. Mm, I don't even know what I'll do. <laughs>
1: Well, you'll talk about Ryan Johnson and Ram Bergman.
0: Yes, Ryan Johnson and Ram Bergman. Uh, the reason why we're going to talk about that is because they have teamed up to do something that, honestly, I think for the film industry is pretty important. Uh, Ryan Johnson and Ram Bergman are teaming up to create a new label that supports uh, low-budget indie films which essentially means it is a output for up-and-coming directors to be able to get their content out all the more easy and uh... that's great honestly especially because there's a lot of uh... newer filmmakers coming out especially around this time after uh, a lot of people have completed their time at college, there's a whole generation of people that are just springing at the chance to get their, uh, exposure. Yeah, no, it's good that, uh,
1: someone with that high profile can kind of give them a, a little wiggle room to work in there.
0: Right, right. Because, frankly, aside from, uh, streaming services, which, even then, very difficult... <laughs> oftentimes because so many studios have their own streaming service and so it kind of cuts off the potential of uh, exposure because not everybody can have that service uh, yeah. unless you're Netflix because as far as I'm aware of it, everybody has Netflix
1: well um, the thing with Netflix though is it's easy to get on but since everyone has it, it it's you're basically dumping it into like a giant heap who knows if people are going to find what you put on there
0: Yeah, because you have to shovel your way through it, and so I feel like uh, this new outlet that these two have created, I feel that it's an even better way of having all these uh, newer filmmakers come out. Especially for uh, many people who graduated uh, last year, myself included, from film school, Um, they gotta have something to get anywhere like something because it's difficult right now uh most employers they're looking for the best of the best in order to help them through the uh you know obstacles that covid has thrown at them and that sort of leaves uh more newbie filmmakers high and dry yeah you know i'm it, something it, it's taken... difficult really something i
2: take into consideration is movies ain't cheap Oh not even a little. So if someone produces something of that expenditure, they gotta make sure it sells. So mm-hmm. I mean that's just that's part of the problem is I mean these producers gotta be confident what you're making is going to sell to a large audience.
1: Movie on a budget of like ten million and people would say that's pretty low. Yeah, because
2: Yeah, ten million, holy moly. You know, I mean that's just that's just something to think about is how expensive these things go. Like, God no look at I mean Obviously, the biggest example would be the Marvel movie, specifically with Endgame and um, what was the one before that? Crap, uh, Infinity War. Yeah. I mean, those movies cost hundreds of millions to make, just on the... Millions and probably millions just on the actors alone. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. makes more money sitting down on a couch in one of those films than I do in a year. The MCU ten, is such an years.
1: interesting thing, too, because the longer it exists, the more the actors involved with it basically go up in price. Oh, Yeah. And, you know, talking about the MCU,
0: it's also helpful that this outlet was even made because we are also in a time where most movies are very, very formulaic. And they all feel as if they've been shot the same, written the same. Even if it's not Marvel, you you just kind of get those hints. And so having this, where they also specifically say that they're trying to focus on... um, more creatively ambitious movies not necessarily ones that are commercially viable um... i feel like it's it's good that they are offering this because frankly we could use more movies that uh... think outside the box because frankly it's movies that are more creatively ambitious that have helped the industry you know improve because they keep trying newer things Have they uh, come up with a name for this new label? They have not. It's currently unnamed. I see. Uh, Whenever it does, um, you know, we'll give a good update to it. But uh, as far as I'm aware of, it does not have a title just yet. Uh, But regardless, I mean, shoot, there's only so many ways I can say that this is great and that I love it. And uh, it's very important and... You know, significant for the future of cinemas. Really? Hey, I'm going to be
2: incredibly cynical for a moment, uh-huh. if you allow me. Um, let's be fair here. We live in a "quote unquote" bottom text to cite.
1: Oh mm. dear, pulling out the um, big words.
2: And a cynical way to look at it, and I'm not going to say we're realistic. I think that's way too negative. But I mean, let's be honest. This, this is just another way for them to make money. Is a huge way to make money. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to deny that there's some passion in there. I'm not going to deny that at all. I mean, we're all human beings. Yeah, of course. But, I mean, think about it. It's, it's a great way to, to recruit a bunch of directors that could become huge, and films that could become huge, and potential sequels. But that's just the cynical nature of it. Otherwise, I do like it. I, I agree with Ian that this is a great way for new directors to come up and you know do what they want to do. And I completely agree that originality isn't really Hollywood's strong suit. Oh, no. Granted, You could say nothing is original, fair enough, but, I mean, with all these sequels that have been coming out, sequels and remakes and redos and reimaginings, it would be nice to get some new material.
1: I'd argue, to your point, that uh, actually both of what you're saying are just two sides of literally the same coin. They get more talent that they can profit off of, but then there's also new talent out in the wild. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get you yeah
0: yeah because it's about time that we get fresher talent because the other thing is that the only really creatively ambitious films aside from like you know what ryan johnson puts out and a few others most of the really big and like creative films come from people who have been in the industry for a decade you know like, the big-name directors like Tarantino, Spielberg, and all these other things, those are the only ones that really seem like they are doing things that aren't based on a formula or a spreadsheet or a test group. So the, we we need something like this.
2: I mean, the thing about that is, I mean, those guys have done so many films and made so much money that they could do whatever flippity-dippity-fudge they want. You know what I mean? Because that's, oh, yeah. that's how much sway they have in the industry. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Which is almost... It's, I mean, that's kind of badass in a way, you know, being, being so successful that you could actually just do whatever you want creatively for the most part. I mean, there's, I mean, there's gonna be like producers or whatnot, test screenings that, you know, maybe uh, sway the producers trying something else. But I mean, yeah, I just, I mean, mean, that's the point. Like you were saying, it's like, those gonna have decades in it, decades so they, they, they can do whatever they want. It's obviously going to be harder for these new guys to do what they want. So they're gonna have to, it's almost like a balancing act of, hey, you have to be – there's a part of the director that wants to do what they want to do. You know what I mean? They have a vision for a movie, but they have to be practical in the sense of this movie has to make money.
1: Yeah, and it's good you said mm-hmm. they're not focusing on commercial viability, which means we're just getting all sorts of uh, shenanigans being thrown out there. We'll see how that mm-hmm. shakes up the mix.
2: Let's not talk about the most recent Aliens. That's uh, a... Yeah. Poor Willie yeah.
0: Scott. <laughs> anyway, well, let's, uh, this is a separate discussion. Right. Well, on the topic of uh, fresh material, uh, we had a little bit of a uh, change of pace with the release of a Amazon exclusive recently uh, titled Tom Clancy's Without Remorse starring Michael B. Jordan. I watched it recently, um, and as far as I'm aware of, uh, you two have not seen it, so I'm going to pitch it to you and get you to want to watch it. So it's a film All right. All right. based off of uh, a book written by Tom Clancy. Well, you okay, you sold Okay, fine. That was easy.
1: <laughs> right. No, yeah, the name's on it. That'll sell.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, And it's essentially the story about this uh, Navy SEAL named uh, John Kelly, played by Michael B. Jordan, who's on this uh, path of revenge after his uh, pregnant wife and unit members are killed by Russian hitmen. Mm. Uh, These hitmen are placed on them because uh, overseas he was doing a a special operation with his uh, unit where they were uh, taking down uh, what they thought were Syrian targets that were suspected to be ISIS members, Uh, but it turns out it was actually uh, Russian military members. (laughs) Whoops And uh, a whole plot of, uh, you know, espionage and uh, tactical operations ensue going back overseas to uh, get back at these hitmen.
1: I mean what's an and, international uh, incident between friends, right?
0: Oh hell yeah. Hell it was just yeah. a it was just a prank, bro. Just a prank. Just a prank. Uh your your wife is dead, but that was part of the prank, so it's completely fine. Just Russian military <laughs> shenanigans, you know how it is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um man did this movie give me uh Splinter Cell vibes, which granted Tom Clancy, so that's a given but also because this movie really knows how to pace and frame its action and be very particular with the direction. Um, I felt the direction was probably uh, one of the best parts because John Kelly, he's he's a natural at what he does. A, A pure natural, and you can see that. He ain't no John Wick, but you can see... In like these really short moments of the action sequences, uh, or even before them when he's preparing for them, he is making these split-second choices that tactically give him an advantage. And just how he deals with it, you can tell that it comes from someone with a, uh, a, a military background, uh, which, once again, <laughs> Tom Clancy for you. Another thing I really liked about it was, uh, obviously, Michael B. Jordan does a fantastic job as the lead. Mm -hmm. Performances all around, really good. Uh, One of the hitmen I was actually kind of surprised was, uh, I forget the actor's name, and maybe James, you can help me out with this. Uh, He was in Stranger Things. He was the conspiracy theory guy in uh, season two and three. Do you know who I'm talking about? I
1: know who you're talking about. I also do not recall his name. He was one yeah. of the, the better characters, though.
0: Yeah, he he was the uh the conspiracy theory slash sex guru guy from uh, Stranger Things season two and three.
2: Moving up and who
0: apparently could just read people and be like, Oh yeah, yeah, you got some tension building up.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You got your wife killed by Russian operatives, I feel it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh Brett Gelman. Brett Gelman. Brett Galman,
0: yes, he's one of the hitmen. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I had to think of a really good example of just how they, they like, uh, frame the action and elements like that, one of them is when in the scene where uh, these hitmen are going to John Kelly's um, home uh, right after his wife is killed, he is shot in the ribs... But not before shooting another guy in the ribs, uh, that being uh, Brett himself. And the way that it reveals that it's him is uh, a flashlight that John Kelly had on him. Uh, he dropped uh, when he was uh, shot. Uh, he's on the floor. This other guy's on the floor. And uh, the flashlight, when it dropped, it began spinning. This, this flashlight, it's just to the side of uh, John Kelly as he's uh, sitting there. It cuts to this uh, shot uh, just behind uh, John Kelly, but also showing the hitman. And the uh, Mm -hmm. flashlight just very slowly uh, uh, spins a few times, just very briefly uh, uh, showing the guy's face. But then eventually it comes to a a slower speed and it stops on the guy's face, uh, cutting to a a really intricately framed uh, reveal of who this guy is. Um, And you just see a lot of that stuff throughout the movie. Um, It's got some very just pinpoint framing and style to a lot of its direction and cinematography. And it just has like this hanging, this looming presence uh, in regards to the camera uh, throughout the movie where I think it just benefits the atmosphere it's trying to establish. Again, gave me some major splinter cell vibes do you
1: know who the director for this was
0: uh first name stefano i remember ah stefano solima i hope that's that's the right pronunciation Mm. (laughs) i probably butchered it but yeah stefano solima and i'm actually looking at a little bit of his filmography Right here. Uh, feature films. Oh, he also did the sequel to Sicario. Hmm. Uh, he did Day of the Soldado. Bless you. <laughs> Quite the name, I know. So he's, uh, he's 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 got a filmography that kind of points to that. I could see how he uh, did this movie. Uh, makes me want to go and watch that particular one, because I heard good things about it. Okay. And Thanos is in it.
1: Yo, anyway. they got Thanos? How yeah. they gonna beat Thanos? It took the whole Avengers Hell to do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that so yeah, without good. remorse. Uh, pretty good. I yeah. highly recommend it. Amazon Prime, go check it out. Now, that isn't just the other thing that I felt was uh, really solid. Uh, the other uh, property that I watched, this one being a show. A whole show, um, huh? Oh, yeah, whole show. Well, more of like a miniseries that, you know, you can, I guess, call a show because it's allegedly the first season of it, uh, that being uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the Disney Plus uh, miniseries. And um, naturally, this is pretty late in uh, the Marvel timeline of uh, films. And by this point, a lot of people with um, their plans for the future—they're—they're—they're they're, they're a little iffy, and I can understand why. Uh, I, I'm not really excited for some of the more—you uh, uh, know—down the pipeline movies. Yeah. I don't know something about them. Mm-hmm. I'm just after Endgame and everything. They—they're they're not doing a good job.
1: I will say from what's planned uh, regarding the MCU as a whole regardless of how you feel about the film Endgame has such a finality to it that it almost seems weird that we're still going
2: yeah it really wrapped it up with a perfect bow and it's just like so it, why go on
1: you know? interest is pretty low and then because uh, Spider-Man came out after that didn't it yes and people thought that was okay but it from what I understand, it wasn't really like mind blowing or anything.
2: Yeah. I so mean, it really wasn't. I love Spider Man, weird... and I can't really bring myself to watch the sequel to Homecoming.
1: <laughs> I still haven't seen it. I I literally bought it like a few weeks ago. I still haven't actually sat down and watched it. It, it just mm. got that
2: feeling like, like it's over. It's just it's just over.
0: You know. Yeah. No, I got that. Well, thankfully what I would like to say about the uh, Falcon and the winter soldier is if you had doubts as to whether Marvel could continue after this point, I would like to uh, proudly say that uh, this is fresh. Hella fresh in regards to the MCU Uh, to the point where, and you know, some people might find this to be strong words. Um, I actually think that this show, in terms of the tonality and what's going on in the story and the plot and all that, um, and that's not to necessarily detract from the film in question's quality, it's still fantastic, I still think it is, but Falcon and the Winter Soldier, in terms of what it's trying to tackle and how it tackles it, kind of makes Infinity War look like Sesame Street in comparison. Really? In what way? Yeah. Well, the big thing is that obviously it's a show where Falcon, Sam Wilson, is teaming up with Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. White Wolf slash Winter Soldier um, and all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, the thing about it, though, that I feel is the most effective part of the show is that it plays with the idea of how power, even though someone can initially use it for good... If given to the wrong kind of person can very quickly corrupt them and cause them to be highly irrational and uh, that's played up very well with the fact that um, the main antagonists of the show is this uh, extremist group if you will called The Flag Smashers. And the Flag Smashers, essentially what they're doing is they're using uh, this super soldier serum that apparently was kept hidden for God knows how long. And they got a hold of it and are using it to fight local governments because, and this is another really interesting part about the show, the show introduces the idea that When people disappeared, when Thanos snapped his fingers, and they came back in Endgame, there was actually a huge economic problem with that. Because now you have people living in these houses where these other people uh, originally were before the snap. uh, And now financially they're fucked because now they're told, oh yeah, you have to leave. So you have these people who are struggling uh, financially and also basically being homeless.
1: Half the population was legally declared dead, and then suddenly they weren't. I guess that would cost quite a bit of... Uh, yeah,
0: insurance-wise, too, that's also pretty fucked
1: up. That's not something I thought a superhero show would uh, dive into.
0: Oh, yeah, and, and it just only goes up from there, because, uh, you know, the leader of the uh, extremists is like this teenage girl who's, like, saying, oh, yeah, we're doing this for the people, and she starts out kind of sincere in that, But the more and more she gets involved, the more irrational she becomes, to the point where uh, the hostages that they take... First off, they're they're taking hostages at some point. Uh, And at some point they also start, you know, or at least she does, uh, she starts killing hostages, too. Oh! Yeah, okay. Yeah, she doesn't seem very nice. Yeah! (laughs) So it only goes up from there, it just... So, the, the the shit gets real after
1: a while. So so when does uh, when does Bucky punch this teenage girl in the face with her his vibranium arm? That's a very good question.
0: Uh, not as often as you think. Uh, but more that's the than other I'd thing. Hope.
1: Bucky uh, Bucky
0: is uh, trying to fully transition out of the Winter Soldier vibes, mm. uh, and um, they actually work in some of the stuff that he did in Wakanda in order to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, an entire Wakandan uh, team of soldiers kind of pop up here and there. Um, In a particular scene (laughs) that I liked, um, they kind of show up one particular character, which, if I may go into that character, um, and I feel like this might kind of give away where the show goes, With its thematic thing that I was talking about, especially. Um, One of my favorite characters in the show is uh, the replacement for Captain America. Okay. Uh, That being uh, John Walker? John Walker. Yes. John Walker makes his MCU debut as the new Captain America and uh, you want to talk about uh people who are kind of uh almost acting out on insecurity and uh using what is given to them for all the wrong reasons uh John Walker is a perfect exploration of that i i
1: thought sam was the new captain america
0: uh you you well you you're not wrong because uh, if I, I I can say one spoiler, uh, Sam does become Captain America, and another thing I liked is that the show does a very good job of making me like that he's Captain America now. Because mm-hmm. Cause the Falcon also gets a lot more character stuff, and I like that.
1: Yeah, he and Bucky, I guess, were mostly sidelined for a lot of the films.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so John Walker, I mean, like, he's given this title of Captain America. He has all this expectation and all that. And naturally, Sam and uh, Bucky, they're like, no, you're you're not Captain America. And they basically just dislike him most of the time. And uh, suffice to say, things escalate due to John's uh, abuse of the um, Captain America title, the presence that it has Um, and I think that's as far as I'll go because I highly recommend people watch it and go into it completely blind even though some of the memes might have already spoiled that so yeah Falcon and the Winter Soldier I highly recommend that people go watch it along with uh, Without Remorse uh, two of my favorite recent things I've watched uh, that I
1: can't recommend enough You know, it's interesting uh, that you've brought up these particular things because, uh, in essence, you could say they both have the similar theme of being uh, derivative of other works, adaptations of pre-existing material. Tom Clancy was an author, and a lot of the stuff that's made about him is based on his books. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the comics are, uh, well, you know, they're based on comics. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was always wondering... i hope so. How do you guys feel about works that are adapted from one piece of media to another? Like, not just in terms of overall quality, but like, how much do you think one work needs to be changed or uh, kind of worked around in order to fit it into another medium before it starts to lose itself?
0: Well... Naturally, books and movies are highly different in terms of how they actually present their respective stories. Uh, Naturally, when you're adapting that, liberties have to be taken so that that transition is smooth. But um, I feel oftentimes what happens is that uh, they're adapted, but they're presented in a way that uh, just... Doesn't seem like the spirit is brought across mm-hmm. uh, when when they cross over into the other medium, and I feel what's important is that uh, when changes are made uh, in adapting uh, pre-existing source material, you need to make sure that you actually know what you're doing and that you understand <laughs> what, like the the meaning of the material, because otherwise a lot of people who are familiar with it, who will likely be watching and experiencing it, they ain't going to like it. And it also brings a tricky topic of, uh, well, you know, things have to be different, uh, when you also think, well, you also need to make this approachable for general audiences, You know, you can't be so reliant on people uh, who are knowledgeable of the material uh, to be like the defining part of their enjoyment of it. Hmm. So naturally, changes need to be made and uh, liberties have to be taken. So my take is stick as close to the, the, the core of the material as possible, but... Also, keep in mind in the viewpoint of like narrative structure, especially if it's like a feature length movie, yeah, things are gonna have to be cut out or condensed or shifted slightly altered in order to have it be a compact product. We'll see. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts,
2: Sam? It's, uh, I, I would not envy a director trying to make an adaption of anything, because it's it's an act of translation. Kind of going more into what you guys were saying, really. It's it's because you can make a movie about X comic or whatever, and there's going to be a completely different reaction from someone who's read that comic compared to someone who's never read the comics. So, it's... It's... it's I, I would never want to do one, you know, because... you. I mean, you guys are right. You, you have to respect the material for the people who've watched it, but you have to make it, into, you have to make it viewable to someone who who's never experienced that previous form of it. So, like I said, that's that's, that's got to be such a t- you know tight line to, th- to thread through, and uh, and another thing you got to take into consideration is what you're adapting. Because if you're adapting to something that was already visual before, like a comic book, compared to like something that's just a regular book that you read. There's the people's imagination, individuals that you have to take into consideration. So there's oh, yeah. just all these things that go into adaptation, and I have no problems with adaption at all because sometimes it can be really, really good. Like the MCU, for example, they did a pretty damn good job in doing it and making it commercially viable while still, you know, adhering to the comics which they got it, you know, got it from.
1: It, it's an interesting thing because, like you said, it's a uh, translation is probably a good word. You're you're essentially. Taking something from one language and putting it into another, and some of the context from that stuff gets lost. Like it, you know, you, you talk about books and uh, comic books. Comic books, like you said, mm-hmm. have a bit more visual stuff, but a book is purely text. Some people could have completely different readings on certain words on paper. Yeah,
2: and, and another thing is, is like, uh, translating into a film comics and books they don't have a time limit you know <laughs> you could pick yeah. up a book whenever <laughs> it's just i mean you get books like twilight which are like three or four or five hundred page books like how mm-hmm. do you fit that in to an hour an hour and a half or whatever you know i mean look at look at justice league it's four hours long
0: yeah
2: i mean people yeah. go crazy with this shite so i mean I'm trying to think of a couple of good examples of adaption. I don't know why I can't think of Well, uh, here's of.
1: one. I know you brought up a f- couple episodes back uh, that goes into another thing. Adapting, say, a video game, which also has an interactive element, like your uh, Monster Hunter.
2: Yeah, most of them are trash. Mm.
1: <laughs> I, I'll, I'll
2: be the one to come out to say most, of the, And vice versa, too. Most video games <laughs> yeah. based off movies are trash.
1: Because that's an extra layer of, like, you not only have to adapt the source material, all the stuff that's in there, but also the player experience, which is completely separate from the narrative.
2: Yeah, I mean, just video game uh, translations, like, you know, both to and from are another topic we can discuss completely in more depth. Mm -hmm. If I had to pick, like, one good example of a video game movie as a little tangent, Mm -hmm. um, or I should say a video game based off a movie is Percy Jackson's King Kong. That's a real...
1: Oh, that's... Damn good. That's, that's a, a really good game. game. Yeah. Surprisingly uh, it's good.
2: Peter Jackson's. Uh, the, what did I say? Did I say Percy Jackson? As in the book you Percy, said Percy Jackson? Jackson yeah. Oh, I didn't Mother. catch that. <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> that's also a really good book, <laughs> story, though. Which is funny, because
1: they made an adaption, film adaption, of that book, and it was trash. Yeah, they made a couple <laughs> of them. Like, they made more than one, and they were not great. Maybe that's why I said the name. It was a subconscious yeah.
0: flare-up. Mm-hmm. I think uh, today um, things are a little easier in terms of uh, fully realizing source material and the fact that miniseries and like streaming service shows are able to take more time to incorporate what was in the source material to have a like fuller feeling uh, narrative. Mm-hmm. Like um, I mean, obviously we have the MCU shows. We have the Forbidden Zone, known as the CW. Yeah. Oh, Oh, and we also have Witcher, which is based off of the books. Man, yeah.
2: This is is our previous episodes coming full circle in a way we didn't predict.
1: Isn't it? Well, I've been trying to get this off the ground for a while. Unfortunately, the episode we originally planned, I couldn't make it.
0: Right. And it's interesting because the last couple movies that we've been talking about are essentially uh, adaptations
1: of... The one I chose today material. is, and there's some yeah. interesting stuff with that I'll bring up in a minute, but...
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Hulk, I think, was, uh. I think, uh, one of the better ones, it, frankly, in it's terms of It's uh, interesting, I'll say that. It. Yeah, Ang Lee is a very
2: <laughs> visual director, and mm-hmm. he really tried to capture the comic book angle of the Hulk,
0: and I think it worked out for the most part. Mm. I thought, visually, in the case of the Hulk himself, I... I think it's an interesting example of being too close to the source material. That it gets kind of janky? Yeah, yeah. He looks a little janky because, uh, like I mentioned in the discussion, the footage is already set to a certain level of saturation and color, and having a super-saturated green hulk running around... Coupled with the 2003 CGI detail that was possible at the time, it looks a little jarring. I mean, yeah,
2: sometimes if you try to rip something straight from the source material, it's too much because you're... Especially if if you go something from, like, comics to live action, some things just don't work.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh,
2: You you can see
1: this, too, even when... uh certain movies are remaked, which is essentially just adapting the same movie into its own medium where they sometimes wildly change like certain character moments.
0: Oh my gosh. I just thought of like one of the most, uh, honestly impressive adaptations that for a long time people thought was impossible. I think Jojo should be commended for even being made into an anime. (laughs) I mean, I mean it's a f- part of my friends. It's a fucking
2: fever dream. It is. I read, it I, really I read, is. The, uh, I read that manga. Uh, what was it went to like? Twenty fourteen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I believe it or not, I have yet to watch the animes. I know I'm behind the times. I know. Mm-hmm. But and from what I've seen from the various clips I want, they really did capture
1: there's a lot of stuff that's like shot oh, for yeah, shot almost
2: style. and and the thing about that is i guess it's it's kind of a cop out almost it's it kind of it's kind of easy to go from a manga to an anime sometimes i'm not saying it always works but I god it yeah. always and, you know it doesn't always but at least they share a similar enough style you know what i mean oh yeah
0: Oh, yeah. Well, the other thing you got to think about is that with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, the manga itself was so strange in how it did its narrative and, like, its actual panels. The, the, the amount of times I look at somebody posing in the manga versus the anime, I, I say to myself, wow, they actually found a way to pull that off and not have it be jarring. <laughs> I mean, it it yeah. should be
1: worth noting, too, that the manga has existed for, like, so long before it finally got an anime adaptation. Like, the original, uh, like, first issue came out in 1987.
2: Yes, but, James, the thing you gotta think about is, I mean, it's so far ahead of its time
1: and its weirdness that, honestly, it was just waiting for the right Oh, generation. no, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, it took a while to to get it to where but they could man, actually when it, when do it.
2: hit. When it hit, it hit hard. Because the right generation modular. came around, say the, saw these guys in makeup with you know, just you know, buff as hell and makeup, just saying the weirdest shit you ever heard in your life. Oh
1: yeah. With you know, mm-hmm. literally
2: names ripped off of for some ungodly reason. Eighties bands, eighties, nineties bands. It sometimes you know it just it hits different and hits at a different time, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are characters in that franchise that have such names as Steely Dan and ACDC.
1: <laughs> and dirty Ari, Speedwagon,
0: Cars,
2: Dio. The list goes on and on. It's... Oh, yeah. It's like, how do you even... I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love that crap. I eat that of course, stuff for it's... breakfast. But it's like... It's something else. It's You can't really look at anything else and... Say hey, you know what? That's just like JoJo. You know JoJo's his own thing, which is great. I love that kind of originality. It certainly is. But we are we we are going on a heavy tangent that will not stop if we do not stop it ourselves. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Um, Well,
0: uh, before we go into too much the nitty gritty of JoJo's bizarre adventure, which we can possibly save for another time, I will say, uh, still on the topic of JoJo and adaptation. It just makes, like, the 90s, early 2000s uh, OVAs of uh, JoJo all the more fascinating. Because that came uh, way earlier than the uh, David Productions episodic anime that is still going on now. um, Because the latest chapter is going to be coming out. Not too Mm -hmm. familiar with those. Right. Those are the weird ones. Those ones are fascinating because uh they they actually tried taking the material a lot more seriously than you would expect almost to the point where it's like a uh action horror uh hybrid in a way when oh. you think about it and it also gets all the more uh interesting when like <laughs> It has a uh, surprisingly uh, high quality animation uh, for something as, uh, I wouldn't say simplistic as JoJo, because JoJo, it's more about the art than the actual, you know, uh, flow of it all, if that makes any sense. It's just odd, but also satisfying to see something like that, where okay. clearly it's not one for one. It doesn't carry everything. But if you watch it for what it is, especially because, uh, it cuts down on a lot of the material, which, to me, I know some might say, oh no, you you can't cut out this part of the story or that part, frankly, I think the narrative structure of the OVAs is superior because it just flows better, quite frankly. Except for the part they released the second half before the first half. Uh, Yeah, that was the other thing. They released it out of order because they didn't think they would be able to do the whole thing. So they just went straight to the uh, more interesting arc, as they said. Uh, And, I mean, it's also weirder because, uh, on a slight tangent, they also had Skywalker sound do the sound design of it as well, which was strange but also appreciated because, ooh, 5.1 5.1 surround sound. Watch that shit. It sounds amazing. But, yeah, it's uh, noteworthy for just being its own thing, and I think it's watchable and worth the time checking out mm. based entirely on that. Question, though, and kind of going mm-hmm. back around to
2: the topic of films, do you think something like that could be adapted to film?
1: Jojo, well... like a Jojo's film? <laughs> there have been a couple live action adaptations I I haven't seen them but I, I know they exist there was a live action film based
0: on the fourth part of Jojo titled Diamond is Unbreakable and from what I understand it's okay they took a lot of liberties and from what I've seen they weren't for the better Hmm. Not at all. (laughs) Especially with, like, live-action versions of, like, comic... I don't know.
2: Sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes there's stuff too out there to adapt to film. I'm not saying it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel like a lot of times you have to make so many changes that it's just
1: not the same thing at that point. Oh, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's...
0: I mean, the same studio that did the uh, OVAs of JoJo were apparently uh, trying to release a... uh, movie that covers the entirety of the first part and it was released at one point, it was complete but uh, they only released it in its premiere in Japan and apparently apparently, uh, and this is only alleged, there there isn't much to point at it but it might also be highly likely Uh, Hirohiko Araki, the author of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Mm -hmm. apparently hated it so much that, uh, it didn't get a wide home video release on, like, Blu-ray or DVD. Oh,
1: jeez. It's like, uh... It's like Dragon Ball Evolution. Apparently, Toriyama hated it. We don't hated. talk about that. Well, apparently, Toriyama hated it <laughs> so much, it convinced him to go back and make Battle of Gods.
2: Good for him. Yeah! Cause, I've seen <laughs> it, it's trash. Yeah. But we mm-hmm. don't have time to discuss how bad.
1: That is. No, yeah. we do have another film to talk about, and which uh, is actually which is good in adaptation. In in a way to kind of segue off this and go into that, this movie uh, has an interesting approach to adaptation uh, that I feel we should get out there before it, it. We go more in depth. The author himself actually really wanted to make a uh, a film. Of his works. Because uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is the movie we're talking about, was a very well-known, like, acclaimed uh, science fiction series of f- books that had, had like, radio plays, TV shows, but he was never able hmm. to get a movie. Okay. Unfortunately, he did pass away before the film was completed, but... ah, oh, that sucks. Uh, what I find interesting is he had actually written... Because uh, the the movie divulges from the plot of the book in a bunch of ways, but all the ways it divulges, he himself wrote to help really? the adaptation process.
2: That's actually pretty bad.
1: Yeah, he had, well, like, separate notes that he just said, hey, oh, uh, if you need to do something, just use these. So it's all entirely on brand still.
2: That w- I mean, that would kind of explain a lot. Yeah. Because to be fair i haven't read the books i'll admit that right now but as the film from the films i've seen it i really liked it i thought it was a very clever i'm not gonna say intelligent i don't know why i don't want to use that word because i feel like it just kind of sound pompous
1: i i can understand why you're Eh, clever
2: let's say clever we'll leave it a clever witty but i don't know something i really liked about this movie is how unapologetically british it was
1: oh absolutely are you kidding me (laughs)
0: Yeah, James, do you mind telling us what the movie is?
1: Well, I, I said before, it's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Excellent. And yeah. this Good came start. Out we know the title. <laughs> 2005? I believe so, yes. Um, yeah. I picked this because I, I love this film. I watched it a lot as a kid, although I was also really big into uh, Monty Python, Flying Circus, and all that, so I mean, British humor yeah. really grabbed me it's It's
2: got a taste and style that's all its own, that's for sure.
1: I'm I not going to lie, when I first saw the trailers, I thought it was a Star Wars parody. Like Spaceballs.
2: Another fantastic movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was
1: not, but what I got was a lot more than I came in wanting. Um, Sam, you kind of gave your thoughts. Uh, Ian, do you want to say what your initial thoughts of the film were before we go more in depth?
0: Uh, I liked it. Okay. I liked it, and I think that's as far as I can say. And the reason for that is, yes, it is clever, it's witty, but overall, um, that's mainly all I can say, Mm -hmm. because it's one of those films where it's like, I don't take any issue with it, it's just that what it's doing, it's not... All that—it's not a movie that's trying too much. It's mainly just a film where you are, uh, to me anyway, uh, you are there for just how uh, absurdly uh, absurd it is. Yeah, yeah, absurdly absurd it is. You could say it's a bizarre adventure. <laughs> oh, that's a clever little kind creep.
1: of the the thing. Yeah, it's it's a it's a sci-fi mm-hmm. farce in a sense. That's kind of why Arthur Dent is chosen as the main character, as he's just in every man who barely has any idea mm-hmm. what's going on at any given moment. He's in a robe for yeah. the entire movie. Because the they just picked even. him up.
0: Yeah. I think it's good that they had him be uh, essentially the protagonist, because in these kind of movies, you need someone that's uh, not used to what's being introduced, so that that way then they receive information the same way that the audience is. Um, but I don't think it was you know too expository technically it could be seen as that but frankly i thought that the um the the actual moments of reference to the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy help in not having it be so blandly uh communicated as in other movies with a lot of uh expository dialogue or information that has to be relayed to the audience? Half the movie was just explanatory in
2: terms of like, oh hey, this is this race. Or oh, hey. Mm-hmm. To kind of go more depth with my thought of the movie, I really liked it. Obviously, I already said this. Yeah. But the thing about it is, it's a comedy. Obviously. Oh yeah. And the strange thing about it was, it was incredibly funny, but I never really laughed. And I think that's because of my disconnect with British humor. I don't know, maybe I just don't get it. Yeah. But I it's like my brain recognizes it's funny. And it really is. There's some obviously literary points. I just don't know why I couldn't really laugh at it. I don't know. I mean, there was like this disconnect. But I, what it what it led to was not me laughing at the movie. It just led to me thoroughly enjoying it. You know what I mean? Like it gave me this I don't know, this uh, comfort almost. It was just it, it was a fun entertaining sci-fi farce movie and I can honestly see why it was it's renowned as a classic today because it's yeah. got that cleverness to it it's got this just fantastic uh, 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 imagination to its quote unquote lore it's, it's world building which is funny relating to the movie itself because it's literally world building and it creates this just funky absurd universe that shouldn't work but it works so well that you accept
1: it as working oh yeah the because the the thing of the the novels is obviously half of the book is the snarky narration that's kind of going between dialogue and that and then occasionally interjected with pieces from the the guide itself which is a literal you know guide to the galaxy it's like one of those uh uh you know like everything to do in europe i like on like 20 pounds books or something, which just tells you like the base information you need to know about just going Mm. anywhere. Uh, It's such a fun and interesting concept to me. It really is. And I think
2: the film did a really good job at adapting. Well, just getting that, getting that feeling down.
1: Like this is a movie where the earth is destroyed in like the first 10 minutes. And that's just kind of an afterthought. Yeah, it's surprising how dark this movie is, but I think that's part of just British humor. It's just that
2: nihilism. Douglas
1: Adams was uh, very down on his luck for a lot of his life, and he wrote the book initially for the sole purpose of destroying the Earth, because he thought it was just, like, so miserable.
2: Well, that that explains a lot.
1: He wanted to explore (laughs) the rest of the universe and just said, like, well, there's there's nothing worth here
2: something i I noticed early on is how much this book is a satire of just life on Earth, but put in a galactic sense.
1: Yes, all of the aliens yeah. are uh, pretty much just as stupid as humans, which I love you you don't surprisingly you don't see that a lot like usually aliens are more advanced than us, they're usually smarter, but here they have their own stupid bullshit.
2: Uh, forgive me mm-hmm. what is the name of the the most uh, the antagonistic race of bureaucrats the Vogons the Vogons I'm sorry but right away I could tell that these guys are probably satires of like British politicians oh absolutely and just like the British bureaucracy because <laughs> literally, literally their entire point is they're so bureaucratic and un- and just apathetic that as a movie said they, I mean if their mother was being eaten by some creature they would have they wouldn't do anything unless they were ordered to by like some form, you know? Yeah,
1: the form had to be signed in triplicate, reviewed, lost, found, and then like buried underground for five years, and then they'd like maybe do something. hmm So I mean they they really pushed that. I'm like, you know what? I can dig it.
0: Yeah, you know what, James, um for for the audience, why don't you uh <laughs> why don't you give us a little taste of the uh the absurd lore behind uh Full the the universe that this property so, uh, builds up. There was one that you told me when we were initially talking about this where I'm like, wow, I think that kind of is a prime little example of the kind of stuff you're in for.
1: I, I have a couple things. Just a little snippet. Uh, one is actually a deleted scene that they had filmed but didn't have time to put in the movie. Mm-hmm. Shortly after the Earth is destroyed and they hitch a ride on the Vogan ship, Uh, Arthur is still coming to terms with the fact the Earth has been destroyed and Ford reveals that he was actually there to uh, revise the segment in the Hitchhiker's Guide on Earth. So he's like, wait, wait, Mm -hmm. what does this say? Like, what does this all-encompassing book say about my home planet that no longer exists? So he opens it up, says the word Earth, and all it says is a single word. Harmless. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and Ford's like, yeah, no, but I, I was there to fix that. I I, I had an idea that, uh, that would probably better encompass the world. Okay, well, what do you think about the Earth? It's mostly harmless.
2: <laughs> mostly.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's just the words that become the entire, like, what the rest of the universe can know about this planet that just does no longer exist. <laughs> um... And then there's, like, in the books, uh, one of my favorite examples of Douglas Adams' writing, which I actually didn't tell you, Ian, is Mm -hmm. uh, the characters are going crazy, so they think they figured out how to fly, and -hmm. the way the narration puts it is, all you have to do is try to throw yourself at the ground and miss.
2: Yeah, it's just... Absolutely absurd. It's absurdist humor now. I really did like it. Oh, yeah. Just the, the improbability. The, they, the way they go through hyperspace or what. They don't go through hyperspace, but the way they jump through fast amounts of space is the improbability machine.
1: Oh, which yeah. Which literally just ah, puts you yes. in a random
2: place in the universe, but it kind of, like, changes things. Like, for example, there's one time they teleport through and their ship go, becomes, like, a flower pop, blah, blah, da da. And they, the, it changes from live action to they're all made out of wool. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because they're it, uh, instead of jumping through like tears in uh, space, they're jumping through all different realities at once, and it's just the film knows how absurd it is, and I just love how it plays with it so
2: hard. Yeah, they don't foot around; they go full hardcore. Yeah, we know that, that we know this is batshit insane, but we're gonna roll with it, and so are the characters, man. They, I think the actors. Did a fantastic job portraying these characters that are so absurd yet they have a personality it's just so weird it works and you just kind of love them for it because at least they're consistent in their characters while having a decent arc you know what was your favorite just, character sam <sighs> i like my favorite character arc obviously was the main characters because he goes from yeah. some schmuck to Basically, who, don't, who this very homebody person who wants to stay home and just keep everything the same, and over time he, mm-hmm. he becomes more adventurous. But my favorite character was Zahat, uh, the galactic uh, governor of the Oh you, Zepha, the president of Safad, the
1: universe.
2: The president of the universe. I fucking love him. He's so uh, he's so crazy, so <laughs> arrogant, so just out there that everything he does was just so funny. One... he's so confident in everything he does even when he messes up and just he's so weird he's got two heads he split his he split his brain
1: because so one could mm-hmm. rule the universe while the other one was the normal him uh, an interesting thing to note about him and especially his two heads the only thing the book says about him is he has two heads really um, <laughs> well let me rephrase that like in regards to physical appearance. So, a lot of other adaptations do, like, the the standard thing where it's just, like, it's split down the middle and it's, like, on two stalks. But mm-hmm. the movie didn't want to do that. They wanted to make it more interesting. So, that's why they had him, like, kind of hidden under a cloth. Yeah, mm. it's crazy. It Yeah, but he, he was probably my favorite character. Just from
2: how absolutely absurd he was. I, I love those kind of characters who just are so cocky and full of themselves, yet oh, are yeah. charming about it for the most part. How about you guys? What were your favorite characters?
0: Uh, mine was Marvin. The oh, depressed yeah. robot. We, we Good old nihilistic Marvin the Robot.
1: It's it's an extra level of satire, too, because it's like, we made robots, so we made one that was depressed.
2: Because we could.
1: Like, all the doors are happy to be there. They weirdly sigh when they're open.
2: Yeah, the the, uh, the supercomputer on board is just the most positive force in the movie. Hiya!
1: I see you're being targeted by nuclear missiles. I'm gonna take evasive action.
0: <laughs> if you don't mind.
1: <laughs> if cool.
0: you don't mind, of course. I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> I apparently Warwick Davis was uh, the one that was inside of the uh, costume for Marvin. Good for him. Uh, he uh, he's the um, amputee. Uh, actor who was in like uh, Star Wars Harry Potter. Uh, he was uh one of the Ewoks. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: He's one of the more uh, he
0: was uh specifically Wicket. He was Wicket, the
1: main one that uh Leia first meets. It's one of the bigger uh like little person actors. Uh, I, I do recognize that name. Mm hmm. And then uh, it only further helps uh,
0: Marvin <laughs> in the fact that Alan Rickman just uh, oh he knocked it out of the park. I the love perfect, that voice for perfect voice for Marvin, and I loved it that it was just Alan Rickman <laughs> in his natural state. In his natural state, indeed, quite.
1: Um, I if I have to speak, I really like Ford. The you know the. The guy, because first off, he has this whole thing with towels, but it never comes up. It like, kind of comes mm-hmm.
2: up sometimes.
1: He's like, oh, you have to make sure you have your towel. But like, he never explains why, and it's only vaguely alluded to why that might be useful. Uh, I and, mean,
2: mm-hmm. There's moments where he has to wipe off sweat, and there's one time yeah. it scares the uh, brawins away but I'm like even though their names are wrong we're going to keep rolling with it.
1: You you keep thinking he's going to be like some mentor figure that's going to help Arthur through everything, but the second they get on the ship he just kind of fucks off. Yeah, st- I still and love them though. <laughs> I kind of love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, "Oh yeah, so uh, you're safe. I uh, I've got my own shit. I'll help you, but like we're good." Yeah. Or it, I I just love his first line of uh "People of Earth, I bring you good tidings of peanuts and beer."
2: Plus, you know, just, just I, don't know, I, I did. I just loved everything about him. He wasn't oh, like yeah. he. You're right. He was. He wasn't really like for the guy who writes the book that, the, like, in the universe that you know the whole thing that it's named yeah. after. He doesn't really do much besides save the main character. But
0: I still loved every second mm-hmm. of him.
2: He was still a great character. All his all his actors were amazing. I can't I
0: can't think of a problem. Oh yeah, all these actors knew exactly what they were in and uh just each it. one I felt just delivered mm-hmm. heavily. I kinda wish uh John Malkovich's character had a little more presence though. He was terrified. <laughs> it's funny He you know,
1: was. Oh my god. It's funny you mention that, because that's one of the things I was mentioning earlier. Him and that whole side plot with the uh, the point of view gun was not in the yeah. original books. That's something really? he wrote for the movie.
2: I, I still think it worked. Granted, it didn't really come to much in the end, in terms of like, mm-hmm. oh hey, we never really see him get his, he- uh, you know, that storyline concluded of, you know, Zahad getting his head back. But it was it it, it kind of needed to be done for motivation to get to that planet and get the coordinates and whatnot.
1: Uh, what's interesting, that you, or at least that you might find interesting, the first book, the one that this is named after, ends when they get to Magrathea. They don't make it to the planet by the end of the first really? book. Really? Yeah. So they, they hmm. had to add all that to make it a more coherent story for just that whole aspect of it. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff they reference from later books, like uh, the... The, uni- uh, the Restaurant at the End of the Universe, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, Is th- those are just names of the other books. Really? Yeah. Huh. I think... Actually, I think the entire series gets name-dropped at, like, one point or another through just innocuous dialogue throughout the film. But overall, it's a pretty fucking good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If I had to talk about some of the technical stuff, there was one thing that I noticed... And I don't know if it was intended by the filmmakers. It very well could, because, again, this is essentially a big uh, absurd homage to uh, sci-fi and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, Something I noticed is uh, actually the color of the film, the actual color grading. uh, And how, when I was watching, I'm like, this looks strikingly familiar to something. I just can't put my finger on it. And uh, it kind of hit me after I uh, went back to working on a little personal project of mine that I'm just doing for the sake of doing it. And also because I love the film that it's for. Back in the day, uh, there was this special film color dye process, uh, which was done by Technicolor. And the thing about the Technicolor dyeing process is that uh, when it would complete, it would uh, change how red, blue, and green is processed in the actual image. Like, it pops more. What I noticed about a particular Technicolor dyed film print, uh, well-known within the uh, certain fan communities... Was that uh, th- this print that I was thinking of uh, was based off of a uh, small, low-budget, independent film called uh, Star Wars. Uh, was that uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy actually had a very similar color palette look to that print. It had areas of the image where like shadows actually had like a little tinge of teal and uh the red in people's faces it popped a little more but it also didn't look too unnatural um and blues obviously kind of had that same thing throughout the movie uh so whether or not it was intended or not i have no clue but if it was hey (laughs) that was actually a pretty nice look and the reason i uh noticed that was because uh, recently I've been trying to color match a recent Blu-ray of uh, Star Wars to that specific uh, print. So naturally I'm kind of familiar with it by this point because of how much I've had to look at it.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's something I wouldn't have picked up on myself, but I, I, it could be. It looked Plus, good.
0: I mean, that print hasn't seen the light of day because George Lucas has... Uh, disowned that version of Star Wars hmm. topic Here. for another time of course but a uh, neat little thing if intended if not hey that's what I got out of it and uh, I also thought that uh, for a 2005 film the implementation of CG still holds up pretty well for the most part
1: yeah, there, there's not a. I mean, obviously the uh, the John Malkovich character Hamakavula with like the what like million of legs that he has had to yeah, be. Yeah, his entire lower torso creepy.
0: just being spindly legs.
1: Uh, uh, but there were a few like decent effects throughout. Um, yeah. and I, uh, from a visual aspect, I I particularly adore all the Hitchhiker's Guide segments where they're like animated in that very distinct style.
0: Yeah. Those are honestly some of my favorite parts. Just learning more and more of the universe.
1: In the beginning, the universe was created. This was largely considered a bad move. It was... <laughs> like, it's just... Oh, it's oh, wait, it's James, so what, just what dark. What was the
0: passage on like the whole thing of uh, Vogon uh,
1: poetry? Oh, uh... Vogon poetry is the third worst written uh, like piece of literature in the universe. I, I forget what the second, or it's either the second or the first one was, but one of them was uh, owed to a strange piece of like green clump I found under my armpit one morning. But luckily, that was destroyed when the earth was. Apparently, Vogon,
0: uh, poetry is used as a torture method because of how unpleasant it
1: is. Yeah. Which I thought was very funny. (laughs) It really hit Ford, too. That's, that's another thing I loved about him. Just, he was (laughs) devastated by it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I also liked the parallel of, um, how in the beginning of the movie uh Arthur's house. It was being demolished because they wanted to put like a highway pass or something like that. Is that what it was? Yeah, and it's just like, oh yeah, you know, we uh, we, we gave you notice in the, uh, you know, inbox or something like that, and the inbox itself is like the most unnoticeable thing to the point where doing so isn't even helpful to begin with. And we come to find out that Earth was destroyed for the exact same reason (laughs) that the Vogon, uh, give. Which, if I'm not mistaken, uh... most citizens in Britain are constantly complaining about the implementations of, uh, highway passes and just the management of them. Uh, so that could also be another little parallel to, uh, their government and whatnot
1: oh it's it's yeah it's definitely a big satire um i mean mm-hmm. the whole thing is really and then to find out the entire reason the earth was destroyed in the first place is because Zephod thought someone wanted his autograph
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it, it this is not a pro-government film in any sense of the imagination no what, Brit- what british film is true
0: mm-hmm uh I thought the point of view gun was a uh, interesting uh addition because like you said uh James uh that wasn't in the original book. Yeah, and I thought that it brought some uh nice hilarity uh to the film because <laughs> the the whole reason for it existing was uh because housewives were so sick and tired of uh their uh lazy husbands um never understanding how lazy they were <laughs> <laughs> and I mean the, the, the whole way that the uh the, the climax comes to a close is uh Marvin uses the point of view gun on the Vogan and they all, <laughs> they all just submit defeat because they're over.
1: depressed. Oh, what's the point? Nothing's <laughs> I think one of them actually says resistance is useless, which is the same line they've been saying the entire film. Yes. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, frankly, if I can go back to just my general thoughts, um, The reason I just mainly like it and not necessarily, like, really like it or think it's good or great is because, at the end of the day, it is a film that isn't trying too much. But that's fine because that's its intention. And I think movies like that, they they have a place. They definitely have a place. Like, they are simply movies that have a concept and they want to explore it to its fullest even if that concept doesn't lead to the most, um, compelling story, it's okay, because nothing's wrong with films like that, you know, and it kind of goes into my philosophy of, hey, you can't always watch The Godfather.
1: (laughs) True, and as someone who, I saw this movie first, then read the books, I think it still captures the same feel that the original novels were going for, and granted that is kind of cheating considering the same guy wrote both mhm cheating or cheating or a lucky coincidence maybe both <laughs> apparently every adaptation had to have something changed and he was always willing to change his own story i think he went on record saying every time we tell this story it's told differently and he's just cool with that
0: Wonderful. all right Yeah, but overall, seems like uh, it's a fun time. If you're big fans of British humor and also uh, farces on sci-fi, highly recommend.
1: Mm -hmm. I would recommend. I did recommend it. Would you do it again? Yeah. I would. Uh, Okay, it's got twice recommendation from James. (laughs) Speaking of recommendations, I know Scott is not here, but Ian, you did say he had given us his recommendation for the next episode.
0: Yes, Scott is the next one in the rotation and uh, the film that he chose is a, uh, I guess you could call it a biopic uh, starring Heath Ledger. Uh, It is a film that covers the rise of skateboarding in the uh, late 70s and uh, the phenomenon that it is and uh, was. Uh, This film... Is of course called the Lords of Dogtown, and uh, I'm looking forward to it because what uh, Scott had to share on the info on it, it uh, it seems interesting, and it's another <laughs> kind of keeping in uh, in in theme with some of the movies we've been talking about mid two thousands. Once again,
1: I, I think that's inevitable. Giving a range, range.
0: Yeah, the the adaption yeah. to the I mean it had a really weird video
2: game adaption called Tony Hawk No Skater. <laughs> no oh, <you're> skater. No.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay, that was bad. I'm Interesting. S- that was Tony Hawk five. I I, I know that one. <laughs> Shit. Classic. Yes.
0: <laughs> Highly recommend everybody pick that one up.
1: Don't actually though.
0: Don't install the patches though. Uh you have more fun if you don't update it. Yes. But alright. Sounds like a plan to me, man. Mm-hmm. This has
1: been Our insightful
0: moment. moment. Ah, there we go. In unison, even. Alrighty, everybody. Well, until then, we will catch you all on the flip side. Have yourselves a wonderful day and tune in next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.
2: And remember, the answer is 42.